Welcome to the Production First Mindset, a podcast where we discuss the world of building code from the lab all the way to production. We explore the tactics, methodologies, and metrics used to drive real customer value by the engineering leaders actually doing it. I'm your host, Liran Khemovic, CTO and co-founder of Rookout. Today, we're going to be discussing how the production-first mindset looks at the enterprise environment. With us is Jeff Davis, Enterprise Agility Evangelist. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you, Liron. It's an honor to be here. Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I'm also known as the Agile Quokka. That's probably because for most of my life, I've had a fascination with all things from Australia and New Zealand the culture, the topography, uh, but even the wildlife. And so there's this really cool little creature called a quokka in Western Australia. And I learned about this creature a few years ago, and I found out that they're known as the happiest animal on the planet. They seem to be smiling all the time, and people love to travel there and take selfies with these little critters. And uh, they're quite friendly. And it occurred to me, people had been telling me all throughout my career, Jeff, you're always smiling. It's so great to have you on our team. Sometimes, Jeff, we're not even sure what you do, but we, we all feel better because you're around. <laughs> so I realized that I'm something like a quokka uh, in the way in which I help people find joy in the workplace. So that's become my brand, and that's what I'm all about. But outside of that, I'm a family-oriented person. I love to spend time with my family. Before getting into the world of business and IT, I was a professional musician, and so I uh, am classically trained in percussion, and I'm fairly versatile on the drum set and all kinds of styles of music. So uh, I did shift away from that, but I still use all those musical experiences. Uh, They're powerful metaphors in the workplace, and most people I meet like music in some way, shape, or form and can relate to it. So it does help me in my coaching endeavors. So I love listening to podcasts. I did recently start my own podcast, uh, which I think is how we discovered each other. But yeah, I really enjoy the production first mindset podcast and all that you're doing here. So I can't stop learning. I love books. I love blogs. I love everything that helps me continue to improve myself so that hopefully I can inspire others to be doing the same in their life. So that's what I'm all about. I think continuous learning is so important. Today, the environment is ever-changing. And not only the technology, whether it's the Agile Manifest from 20 years ago, or, you know, DevOps, DevSecOps, the cloud, cloud-native technologies. I mean, the way we do things is constantly changing today. And it's so important to keep learning and draw upon sources of information that you love. And now today, you're an enterprise coach at Evico Healthcare, Right. Well, yes, I said it in that way. It's a little more nuanced. Evicore was the company I started with about three years ago. They were acquired by Express Scripts International, and then Express Scripts was acquired by Cigna, a very large international healthcare brand that I'm sure many of your listeners may have heard of, may even have healthcare through them. So uh, I recently transferred from Evicore into the wider enterprise at Cigna, And we have a power brand called Evernorth, and it's kind of an agile concept, if you will, to uh, doing business where all of the other companies that Cigna has acquired, they're looking for ways now for us to create new teams where we kind of cross skill across these brands. 
And so when we release new innovative healthcare services and products into the marketplace coming up in the future, you'll see more and more things coming from the power brand known as Evernorth. So I'm functioning out of Evernorth and, uh, and I'm trying to spread the good news of all the things that teams and coaches are doing inside of the company to improve our ways of working and to get to better value sooner, safer, and happier. How do you go about that? I mean, there's so many conflicting changes you're trying to aim for. There is, you know, the psychological safety and the organizational changes, which quite often, you know, conflict. And then you're aiming for more velocity, higher quality, focusing on the end customer. So many things you're trying to change without, you know, ruffling any feathers. Well, you say without ruffling any feathers, that's for me, I don't mind ruffling feathers anymore. It's not that I'm a person who likes arguments because I'm definitely conflict averse. I, I don't like to create conflict willingly. That said, I, I'm transforming myself. And I think that's what's important is I'm trying to role model that and other coaches in the company are doing the same thing. So if we can come alongside leaders and challenge them. So, you know, ruffle their feathers, but knowing that we're doing that, we can attempt to challenge them, but yet not in an off-putting way or a way that truly puts them in a defensive posture. We're trying to say, have you considered this different perspective? And so we give them actual visualizations or models like a, you know, a quadrant, for example, where we can say, let me show you this on a if you're familiar with the tool like Mural or Miro, where we can put a little picture up, or we might even have the picture ourselves, you know, uh, just a graphic. And we'll say, take a look at this. What I'm hearing from you, what I'm sensing from you when you talk about this problem is from this perspective of process and systems and technical things. Have you considered, however, the this other side, this cultural side, or this mindset side, or maybe some aspect of systems thinking where we're showing them they're focused on optimizing something locally, like right in front of them. But actually, it's a challenge for them because there's these uh, wider, more holistic, systemic things that are making it hard for them to do what they want to do. And so many times they need coaches to give them space where we listen to them, but then we like a mirror, reflect back what we saw and what we heard. And for many leaders and and even engineers, technical uh, people as well, when we do this, it can really help them to realize, hmm, there's a blind spot that I had that until you replayed it back to me and mirrored that phrase back to me, I didn't even realize what I was saying. (laughs) So that's the magic of those conversations that come out of um, a lot of what coaches can provide. Sounds like my shrink. A little bit, a little bit like that. Now, we're certainly not licensed in uh, psychology or something. We certainly aren't trying to be clinical in, in that way. But uh, but yeah, there are some com- common areas of human thinking, human behavior and relation that is important. So we are trying to providing some aspect of that in the workplace that makes things healthier, we hope. I know agile coaching has been around forever. No, not, obviously not forever, but since the agile manifest, that's 20 some years now. And I'm kind of wondering, uh, you've been doing it for a while now. And over the past few years, we've seen, you know, DevOps, shift left, kind of new movements in the space. And I'm wondering what difference did that make for agile coaching? That's a great question. I find it to be 
different from coach to coach or whoever you would talk to. So for me, I found my way to coaching actually, I would say from the DevOps movement, really. So when I was working in more of a uh, project and program management kind of a role uh, at another large enterprise, I was introduced into this world of DevOps. And of course, I was very curious, what is this? Uh, Tell me more. What does this mean? And suddenly, I found myself talking to other people about Scrum teams and Kanban teams and how they're trying to use that along with their CI/CD technologies. And then all of a sudden, I was talking to people who were agile coaches and I was like, okay, tell me, how do you connect to DevOps and how does DevOps connect to you? And so what a lot of people told me that I really appreciated was if agile is this mindset that leads through its values and principles into any large variety of ways that people sort of put it into practice. It's when we discover the things that we want to automate, the things that we want quality and consistency, because, you know, machines can do things so much better than human beings, right? That DevOps is kind of bringing that aspect of what we can do. So we can unlock agility in our teams and our organizations and our processes when through the DevOps ways of doing things, we can introduce automation and set it up and then set ourselves free. You know, our cognitive load now doesn't have to think about those mundane things because we automated it. And now we can shift our, our minds into the more difficult areas of complexity that we need to focus on. So for me, you know, DevOps led there. And now I, I just find it continuing to be this loop or this cycle and circle of, of my learning and thinking process. So now I would say as any new aspects, like I'm hearing things like continuous previews is kind of a new thing I've heard people talk about. And even the ways that, you know, debugging and such is happening. For me, it all connects. It makes sense. It's just elevating the conversation, like I described earlier, to ways that we're learning how to improve how we work and to bring efficiencies into how we work. So it's even that lean thinking, you know, that's there. So I guess the core principles of reduce waste, improve the happiness of human beings, these kinds of things. Especially by smiling. Yeah. These things just continue to um, uh, come at us with sort of new innovative approaches from other creative people, finding new ways to solve the problems. So sometimes they put maybe a new term to it, but I, I find it really just connects right back to the core values and principles of like the manifesto or even back when XP was introduced and principles, you know, or the values that were there as well. Speaking of better ways of doing things, I know you're a big believer in engineering excellence. So kind of how did that come into play with your role? Well, great question there too. I found because it was easier for me as a scrum master when I was spending time with a a variety of app dev teams or maybe even um, data-oriented teams. Going into retrospectives, we would often talk more about what my team members would call the touchy-feely things. And at first, I thought that was important and really good. And, And it is good. It is important. I was helping the team members learn how to communicate better and these sorts of things. But over time, I started to realize we're not talking much about technical debt and what this means to the team, and if we're even aware of it. Yet I knew that the team members were struggling. I could see it. I I was observing things that they were dealing with and frustrations that they would express. So I realized that 
it was up to me as their scrum master to, if they're not going to bring it up to see if I could suggest, Hey, why aren't we talking so much about your actual technical process of how you're working? I haven't heard anybody talk much about that. And so they would say, well, we kind of talk about it on the side, maybe one-on-one. And I'm like, well, that's good, but wouldn't it be cool to dive into that and to really identify something important to you as a team that you want to, to change? And then it started to un- unpack, well, all the things that bother us are going to require some you know, VP level change where they have to approve some big you know, organizational shift. And then I said, so <laughs> why don't we ask for that? <laughs> why aren't we asking? So it was from there that um, I started to drill down and say, well, what can we do? What else is there? And so really just by creating that space and asking what else, what happens next? What frustrates you the most technically? Do you like your IDE that you're using? You know, the, what, what was it back then? Some of them were using IntelliJ. Some of them were using a different one. And I'm like, how come some of you use one and some of you use a different one? Does that add value for you as a team or does it distract from your effectiveness as a team? So they were surprised because they just thought I was the scrum master and I wasn't very technical. But once I started to explore that with them, they told me later, oh, Jeff, that's really cool that you care about the technical things that we do. We, we thought you were here just to make us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> and I said, no, no. <laughs> I said, that's important, but you know, we should be talking about these other things. So you were talking about how engineering teams cared that you were interested on what was going on from a technical engineering perspective, and not just about how they feel. Yes, they really appreciated it when I started to show an interest there. And it brought the team morale to an even higher level. They appreciated that I was asking them a bit more so that I could go and help them with the dependencies that they had, for example, on um, like a DBA team or at this particular place I'm thinking of in my mind, they even had split off. And (laughs) I'm not a big fan of this model, but they had a quote unquote DevOps team. I should probably clarify for those listening why, who are wondering why I would be having a problem with that. It's I feel DevOps is all about behaviors and ways of thinking as well. And I'd much rather see those people rather than clustered into a team by themselves as a silo. I'd rather see them split out into uh, the other uh, value stream oriented teams or the platform enabling teams and what have you to kind of force multiply and spread those DevOps behaviors that way. Anyway, Uh, Getting back to the fact that I was helping the team talk more about their technical excellence, and then it helped me to anticipate when they might need another team to do something first on their behalf. And when I recognized that, then I started to have conversations between the teams and say, rather than us needing to coordinate this dependency in the future, can we enable, you know, team A to have the access or to have this skill set? What is it going to take? How can we make that happen? So at that point, I realized how powerful it is, you know, to shift and change things in those ways as well. And when you can build up capabilities inside of a team so that they no longer depend on a different team, that's super powerful. And technical excellence comes out of those things too. And that sense of team autonomy that they really thrive on. Definitely. Now, if there is one complaint I think I've heard in every sprint retrospective I've ever been 
was that unplanned work in general and especially production issues and production interruptions in particular were always disrupting you know the workflow disrupting getting work done and that like number one complaint how is that where you're seeing things oh yes it's such the time stealer or time thief, isn't it? This unplanned work that comes out of all kinds of places. And for so many different reasons, probably the most prevalent that I've noticed that really frustrates teams is when they're in the middle of a sprint or they're focused, if they're a Kanban team, you know, they're pulled something in and they're very focused to get it to done. And then um, a product owner, product manager, maybe even uh, an executive or some other let's just say high ranking person in the company swoops in to say, oh, there's this whole new thing that's very important, very urgent. I really need this team to focus on it right away. So the problem then becomes how they respond. The The typical response is to just say, okay, and they'll just, you know, they'll tell that person yes, which means now they're forced to say no to that other work that they were already in the middle of. And so I highlight that to say, again, coaches can add value now in this area to point this out and say, have you noticed that you do this? When you make a decision to say yes, you're also making a decision to say no or not yet to something else. And so we have to then talk about how can we say no in different ways? How can we say, we'd like to do that for you, but we're currently trying to finish this and add to it, uh, maybe educate our product owners. That's something we've tried to do to help them talk about the value of what it is that their team is currently working on. And so if a leader comes to them asking for something new or something different or something unplanned, they just have that frank conversation and they try to show, we'd like to do that for you. So yes, we can do it if, so then that's the powerful word, if you can give us two weeks to complete what we're currently working on, or if you can tell us why that's going to create something more valuable for the company or in the marketplace compared to what we're currently doing. So we've tried to help improve the way that they have those conversations to say no in different ways. That's the biggest one that I've noticed. Of course, the other is what probably Rookout helps people to specialize in is to avoid those failures in production because of bugs and other problems, which definitely become the fire drill and all hands on deck to figure out what's going on. And so that mean time to recovery for a lot of teams dealing with technical debt, other kinds of problems, maybe they're, what I've seen again is the lower level environments were not really production-like. They're very, very different. And so um, when something broke in production, trying to understand why in that environment is hard for them because their lower level environments you know, have differences and they're not always able to spend the time understanding that and doing something about it. So that's another big one that I've seen causing unplanned work. I'm drawing a blank on other scenarios at the moment, but yeah, again, coaches, what scrum masters, coaches, what we try to do are take those moments of retrospective right after those incidents to say, what can we do so that this doesn't continue to happen to us? What did we learn? So turning all those instances into learning conversations, learning opportunities, and then also not just grievances. Uh, it's the time of Festivus, if you're familiar with the Seinfeld sitcom, you know, uh, Festivus, where we list out our grievances. That's not what we should do only. We should try to say, um, why was this so painful? How, why did it force us to stop work that we wanted to do and have to do this unplanned work? And 
can we do something? Who do we need to talk to? What do we need to change? Um, what did we learn about our debugging methods? Or what did we learn about maybe it exposes that they're not pairing well, they're not pairing their more experienced kind of senior devs with junior type devs. And maybe, you know, they're not doing a good job of helping those people skill up, you know, by the thing that failed in production or the thing that became an unplanned. It's also an opportunity, right? To elevate your people. Um, And so we're scared, you know, those things happen and people get scared to be exposed as the one who introduced the bug or the failure. And uh, they kind of go into hiding or they're not willing to, to be pointed to, or maybe their practices aren't yet, again, lack of technical excellence. Maybe there's the way in which they write their code and do their things. And maybe their tooling isn't such where you even know who wrote that line of code, who introduced that thing that caused the bug because people want to remain anonymous. And that's a problem too. And that's often because the culture is a blame shifting kind of culture that points the finger. And so again, coaches are hoping to rectify that by making people feel more safe. And we introduce things like failure bows. So, and we try to role model it. So if I'm late for a meeting or something, I'll say, let me take a failure bow. I'm, I'm late and I apologize. Not going to make excuses and your time is valuable. And I just disrespected you by showing up late and you just call it out and model it. And then you hope that'll spill over into the technical practices and behaviors and ways teams talk about those together too. Yeah, we should definitely aim for as blameless culture as possible. You've mentioned early on that you've created your own podcast. Can you share with us a bit about that? Oh, thanks for letting me talk about that. So I did introduce the Quaka cast. So um, I have my website, agilequaka.com, where I'm just trying to share a little bit more about myself out there. But I decided so many other coaches and mentors have been influential in my life, uh, what I call my journey, that I thought it would be fun to talk to them about who influenced them. And then from there, as I meet interesting people in the workplace or through other conversations, I'm inviting them to join me on the podcast and talk to me about what their life has been like and who were the influential people and what made them influential. And then what do we do to bring that into our workplaces and into our relationships to try to make things better? So we're all on a journey together and our journeys, you know, interweave and crisscross and intersect in various interesting ways. And I'm just fascinated by that. And I love to hear people uh, talk about those aspects of their lives and their work. So, um, I'm I'm hoping to have some other interesting people who aren't just agile coaches and those kinds of things. I'm hoping to I'm working on inviting uh, a recent friend who was a former Navy SEAL, and I think he'll have some interesting things to share with us and uh, some other interesting people like that that I hope to have on the show very soon. Thanks. Sounds promising. I can't wait to listen to it myself. Oh, thank you. Thanks for joining us and for this great conversation. Oh, thanks for having me, Liren. And yeah, keep smiling, everybody. Keep smiling, everybody. So that's a wrap on another episode of the Production First Mindset. Please remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Let us know what you think of the show and reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Production First. Thanks again for joining us.